but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Father, I pray for this precious family who this morning has their, their lives and their children, and maybe that's all, and, and we don't know details, but you do. And though the darkness right now may seem to hide you as we just sung, I pray that, that they would see your goodness despite this, this hard, broken time. I pray that we as a church would rise up well, and we would weep with those who weep and mourn with those who warm, mourn, and then we would be able to meet needs and encourage and point people towards you. I pray uh, for our time in your word this morning, um, that you would use it for your glory. I pray that you would use me a hard-hearted and deaf and dumb person sometimes to proclaim truth. I need your spirit to just fill me this morning. Lord, please help me. Please just use me for the glory of Christ and for his name's sake, I pray. And for all the churches in this town, Lord, as this morning they are gathering proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming his resurrection, his goodness. I pray that you would just grow them and bless them and may the churches that preach the gospel in this town flourish uh, so that the name of Christ is exalted. And so we'll give you the glory for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys have a seat. I didn't think about it when we chose that hymn, but early in the morning, my song should rise to thee. Yeah, that's right. You guys skip purgatory right out the bat because you guys came to early service. Everyone else has got a year or so. Um, and just, just, you just be glad because the 945 service and 11.15, it's going to be crazy. They're going to be sitting in the street. And that's all right. It's their fault for sleeping in. All right? So you just walk out and wave to them when, they leave, when you're leaving, okay? Turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27 this morning. Um, if you're new, visiting, we have been working our way through Acts, almost done, and today we'll kind of work our way towards the finish. Here's where we've been. Paul is on his way to Rome. Um, he has been promised by, by Jesus that he would go to Rome. It's been a two-year ordeal. He's gone from being beaten, being arrested, sitting in jail, twiddling his thumbs, going to another trial, twiddling his thumbs, going to another trial. Finally, he appeals to Caesar as a Roman citizen, has the right to do, and now he is on his way to Rome, although everyone says he's innocent. I don't know why we're sending him to Rome, but he's going to Rome anyway, all right? And, and so we saw just a lot of chaos last week in the life of Paul, and if you think it's over, think again. I hope you did your homework. I hope you read chapter 27 and 28. Because we're going to see that the chaos is just beginning. And what's going to happen is when Paul finally gets to Rome after all this ordeal and all this perseverance and all this stuff, he's going to get there. He's going to do the same thing he's always done. He's going to tell people about Christ, and they're going to have the same exact response. They're going to be hard-hearted. They're going to be dull. They're going to reject him, and they're going to reject Christ for the most part. It's like everywhere Paul goes, he is surrounded by deaf, blind Dumb, hard-hearted people. Just everywhere he goes. 
It reminds me of a Christmas story and Ralphie. Ralphie understands the glory of the Red Rider BB gun and tries to tell everybody about the glories of the Red Rider. But his mom is a hard-hearted woman. His teacher, Mrs. Shields, is a hard-hearted woman. Even Santa himself is a hard-hearted man. And no one gets Ralphie, right? It's everywhere he goes, everyone's hard-hearted. That's Paul. Everywhere he goes, he's sharing the glory of who Christ is, hard-hearted. And here's, here's where we want to land this morning. We don't want to be a hard-hearted group of Christians. Because let me tell you, there's churches filled with them. Going through the motions, singing all the songs, hearts of stone. Not sensitive to what God the Holy Spirit is doing. Blind to what he's doing. Deaf to what he's saying. We don't want that to be us. And so we're going to look at this passage, and I'm going to hopefully give you a couple encouragements so that we will not be hard-hearted, dumb people who don't see the glories of the Red Rider be begun. All right? So let's jump into our text. This is normal bill this week. No tie. No five Ps. Baptist bill is gone. We're back to normal bill. All right? But let's jump into our text. I got five things here for you, and we got a lot, a lot to cover, so let's roll. Verse 1 of chapter 27. When it was decided that we, notice it's we. What does the we mean? We means Luke is there, right? So Luke is on this trip. With Paul, that when we, it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in the ship of Adramatium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Lots of mouthful. Then the next day we put in at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So this guy, Julius, is a good dude. He's letting him go visit his friends. They're on the coast of Israel. We'll see that in a minute and on a map. But they're, they're starting the journey. Verse 4, and putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found a ship of Alexandrian. Alexandria sailing for Italy, and he put us on it. So they switch ships here. They get put on an Egyptian ship, which turns out to be a wheat ship. And it is a big ship, and it is headed for Rome. And so they sailed slowly for a number of days, arrived with difficulty to Sinaitis. And as we sailed, for the wind did not allow us to go further, and as we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salomone, coasting along it with difficulty, we taped to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. And, and what you see there is... You're getting a little foreshadowing of the way the trip's going to be. It's not been easy so far. They've been trying to work their way up the coast here. Okay, they start here. Here's where he gets to be his buddies. They come up here they, under the lee of Cyprus because the open wind here, so they kind of use Cyprus as a, as a shield. They kind of sail on the coast of Myra. This is where he finds a different ship. And he kind of they go above the island here because of the open sea and the wind. And they with difficulty find themselves right here. It's difficult because it's, it's fall. And no one sails in the fall, okay? Very few people will get on the ocean between September and October. Nobody would get on the ocean after November to February because it's le less daylight, a lot of clouds. You can't see where you're going. If you don't have the sun, you don't have the stars, you can't see anything. It's cold. You got storms. You got wind. You got all these issues. So most people stayed off the water, right? And that's why Paul in verse 9 says this to the guys. He says, since much time has passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast, that's the day of atonement, was already over, Paul advised them saying, sirs, 
I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Paul says, y'all, it's a bad idea. We should not go. We should stay here for the winter. Let's wait it out because it's just, it's just not going to be good. I'm telling you, it's not going to be good. Verse 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. So they say, oh, dude, Paul, it's only like 40 miles to Phoenix. We can do this. We can get there. It's a quick jump. No big deal. And who are you anyway? You're just some Roman, unibrow, crooked-legged, ugly dude in chains. So we don't, why should we listen to you? We are the experts, right? And guess what? The experts were wrong. Because here's the thing. Paul didn't look like much, all right? But he knows a little bit about sea travel. In fact, we learned from 2 Corinthians, which was written before this, that old boy's already been in three shipwrecks, which says a lot about Paul, by the way. He says, I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Now, if I get in one, in one plane crash, I might get in another plane. I get in two plane crashes, taking a bus. I find that there's a guy on my ship that's been in three shipwrecks. We're throwing his butt overboard. Okay, this guy's bad news. But here's the idea. Paul says, y'all, I know a little bit about shipwrecks. It's not a good idea. Right? But these guys, you know, we're the experts. We know what we're doing. We can get there. And here, here's what happens. When we become a bunch of know-it-alls, like we've arrived, when we are the experts, guess what? We are now deaf. And we are dumb. And we are hard-hearted. And so here's the first thing for us today. Let me say it positively. You've not arrived in anything, so you need to keep growing. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care what you know and you've been saved 30 years and you raise your kids. And, and I know all there is to know about money or theology or art or relationships. Or you've heard this one, Dad, I'm 16. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, okay. I won't even go there. You are not the expert. And if your heart is not to continue to grow, if you think that you've arrived and you got it all together, you will become deaf and hard-hearted and you will miss the glory of the Red Rider BB gun. You won't see what God's doing. Right? So we can't be satisfied. I don't, I, I don't need to grow. I'm good. What does Peter say? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in another place, long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow in respect to your salvation. You, you don't stop growing. And some of you, you are dull and you are deaf and you are dumb because you've just been satisfied. Here, here's, kinda, here's some signs maybe that, you, that your heart, heart is getting hard, that you're, you're a little bit deaf. Let me give you just a couple. Number one, that you are always anxious to tell everyone what you think, but you're never willing to listen to what everyone else thinks. If that's you, you might be hard-hearted. Here's another one. If, if people, your spouse, your roommate, your friend, your children, your parents, they, they always are coming to you and, and telling you, I see this in you, and you got seven reasons why they're wrong, and you're already, you jump and you're defensive, and you bring in your lawyer and say, here, you talk to my lawyer, and here, he'll tell you all the things that I'm, I'm not, and why, and this, all this, and why you're wrong. 
then you become hard-hearted and dull, right? If everywhere you go, there's always problems and chaos, and it's always everyone else's fault. It's because of this, and they don't know what they're doing. And If there's always that chaos everywhere you go, and it's everyone else's fault, you've probably got a hard heart, You're probably dull of hearing. Or if you start saying things like, well, people just need to deal with me. That's just the way I am. That's just the way it is, and if you don't like it, you just need to you know, go away from me. If you're saying things like that, and you're never even considering being willing to change, that, that maybe you have some issues that you need to deal with, then you probably have a hard heart. And these are the exact opposite of Jesus, who was gentle and lowly of heart. These are just arrogance, right? Arrogance. You and I need other people to look into our lives. You know why? Because you got blind spots all over the place and you don't see them because they're blind spots. You can't tell because they're blind spots. And especially when you are in the midst of your sin, you are blinded because you have gotten used to it. Last night, I came home from church and went out to a little birthday party and went home and I walk into the house and immediately I, I can smell it through the door. I smell garlic. I'm like, mmm, that's good. The whole house is just garlic. It's like we're cheap keeping the vampires away or something at the Fowler house. I mean, it was great. I love garlic. And I walk in and I look at the kids. I'm like, can you guys smell the garlic? They're like, no, I don't smell the garlic. After about 30 minutes, I couldn't smell the garlic. But then I take the dog out. I come back in after being outside for 10 minutes. And what? There's the garlic smell again. What had happened? I had gotten used to the garlic. I got used to it. I couldn't smell it anymore. I had to go outside and then come back. And then I smelled it again. You need people that are outside to say, hey, you smell like garlic. And it smells good. <laughs> right? That's what you need because you get blinded because you get used to it. And you need people. Let me just tell you that God has spoken to me as much through my wife telling me what was wrong. Was that easy to hear? No. Did I want to hear it? No. Did I get sanctified through it? Yes. You need other people. And if we're going to have soft hearts, if we're going to be moldable, if we're going to hear what God is doing, then we need to be listening. We need to be pursuing growth. We need to be asking questions. We need to be inviting people to speak into our lives. Otherwise, it will be hard. There's another reason they blow off Paul, though. I don't know if you caught it. It says, because the harbor was not suitable to spend winter, the majority decided to put out the sea from there. Did you catch that? The majority of people, like Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. The majority of people said, it's a good idea. The majority, right? Look, the majority rule is the worst way you can possibly live your life. You want to be hard-hearted? You want to be dumb? Go with the majority, right? And so if you're going to stay soft, you, just, you don't always go with the flow. You don't always go with the flow. Think about, in just the scriptures alone, how many times the majority rule was just just catastrophic. Let's build a tower to heaven. That's a good idea. All right? We need to go back and be slaves in Egypt because they have onions in Egypt and we don't have onions. Right? Moses is gone. He's been gone for 40 days. Let me take my earring. Aaron, will you make us a cow so we can worship it? That's a great idea. Why don't we... No, we can't go into the land. Ten spies, that, 
That Joshua, that Caleb, they don't know what they're talking about. These ten spies, they do. We can't do it. Woe is us. Let's go back to Egypt. Okay, wander around for 40 years until everyone dies. Great idea. Even in in a marriage, Abraham and Sarah. Well, we can't have children. God says we should have children. Here's a brilliant idea. Why don't you take your servant and have a kid with my servant? Brilliant idea. You want to know where the nation of Islam came from? That's your decision. Great majority rule. It's a, it's a poor way to make decisions. Not just that. Our country, think about how majority ruled, where, where segregation was a good thing. Majority rule. Women shouldn't be able to vote. Majority rule. Right? Majority rule. Filterless cigarettes are good for you. Lead paint. Majority rule. How many times has the majority been wrong? No, it's not. The majority is not always wrong. The majority of people hate the Dallas Cowboys. That is good. But majority rule is not a good way to live your life, especially since the way of Jesus is completely opposite of the way of the world. How many things that Jesus tells us are opposite? The first, you want to be first? You got to be last. Right? It's more blessed to give than to receive. You want to be a leader? You got to be a servant. You want to be exalted? You got to be humble. The lady who gives two pennies gives more than everyone else. Consider your trials joy. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. These are completely opposite. These are swimming upstream. And that is the way of Jesus. And so if you want to be deaf and dumb and hard-hearted, follow the way of the culture. You want to be sensitive to what God the Holy Spirit is doing? Got to swim upstream. Because you're going to get blasted, y'all, and it's coming more and more. The message of the culture. Your life is about you. Whatever makes you happy. Where is the way of Jesus? Whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to the Lord. Right? Your dad's a moron. Your husband doesn't know what he's talking about. Right? Your parents, they're, they're clue bird, clue bird, send me a clue. What does the scripture say? Honor your father and mother. Love your, your wife. Respect your husband. Right? You got to test drive the relationship before you get married. Why don't you live together for six months? Just figure it all out. It'll be good. What does the scripture say? This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What does the culture say? Get all you want. Get it all now. You need more. You need more. What is the way of Jesus? Be content with what you have. Right? It, you got to swim upstream if you're going to be soft and sensitive to what God is doing. Right? If you want to be dull, just go with the blow. And so that's what happens. And it starts out pretty good, actually, which is what it always does, right? It seems fine. When the south wind blew gently, it's gentle wind. Ooh, it's nice. We're going to get there. And I even love, supposing they have obtained their purpose, they think they got it under control. They weighed anchor. They sailed along creek close to the shore. Everything's good. Everything's great. It's under control. Boom. But soon a temptuous wind called the nor'easter struck down from the land, and then it all falls apart. And verse 15, they are out of control. Verse 17, they drop the sea anchor, which is like the break. It's of no use. They can't slow this deal down, right? Verse, verse 18, they're throwing cargo over to make the ship lighter because they're taking on water. Verse 19, they throw all the, uh, the uncritical tackle over. And by verse 20, neither sun nor stars appear for many days, and no small tempest lay upon us all, and all hope of our being saved was last abandoned. 
just in a few short verses, it goes from we got it under control to we're going to die. Just like that. Right? And they're out in the middle of the ocean. Here's kind of where they're at. Now they're just kind of floating around. You know, hurricane force winds just blowing them everywhere. They can't see where they are because there's no stars, there's no sun, there's no moon. They're so scared, verse 21, they're not eating since they had been without food for a long time. Paul stood up among them, and I love Paul. Look what he says. Men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> this is when someone just flies out and just kind of haymaker across the child. <laughs> there goes Paul, right? But it, this is not Paul being snarly. This is Paul now building credibility because he's going, to, he's going to lead them through this. Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Well, that's encouraging. Ship's going down, but you will live. All right, that's nice. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of God whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And before God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. So he encourages them. My God showed up. He reminded me we're going. You guys are all going to be saved. We just got to run aground on an island. And so verse 27, 14th night had come. I want, I want you to think about that. Two weeks of basically hurricane force winds on a ship. Think about how many people are puking. Think about... No one is eating. Think about no one is sleeping. Think about fear, weariness, all that for two weeks, thinking you're going to die. And finally, they, they get near to land. As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found, 120, found 20 fathoms. It's about 120 feet. A little further on, they took a sounding and again found 15. That's about 90 feet. So they're getting closer to ground. Okay. And what happens eventually is they, they, they get close and a couple guys try to get in the, the dinghy. And then Paul says, unless you stay in the boat, you're, you're going to die. And so they cut away the dinghy. And Paul says this, as day was about to dawn, he urged them to take some food saying, today is the 14th day you've continued in suspense without food. No food, 14 days. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is going to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat, and they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Think about the shift that's taken place. Paul was the idiot that no one wanted to listen to. You, we, you don't know what you're talking about. Who is leading the show now? Paul. <laughs> Who's directing the ship? Paul. All 276 people on board are following Paul. And just like he said, they hit land, the ship just gets destroyed, the soldiers want to kill all the prisoners because if they get away, they're going to die anyway, but the centurion stops them and, and says, no, don't do it. And so verse 44, they were all brought safely to land. And where they find themselves is on the island of Malta, right? That's right here. So God in his providence directs them to the one island that they could hit before they go out to open sea. Boom. And they land on Malta. And just when you think the Apostle Paul is going to get a break, just you think, finally, they're all kissing the sand. They're all excited. They start a little fire. The native people showed us unusual kindness. They kindled a fire, welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. You got to be kidding me. After all that, 
he gets bit by a snake. You got to be kidding me, right? And, and there's two different responses that I love here. The response of the people on the island, verse 4. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice, and that's the name of their goddess, you see it's capitalized, has not allowed him to live. What are they saying? They're saying, this is a bad dude because he got bit by a snake and bad things happen to bad people. Right? Bad theology. But Paul shakes it free in verse 6. I love verse 6. It says, they were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. So they're all eating around the fire and they're staring at Paul. I got over under five minutes. And they just wait. For a long time, they're just sitting there, is this guy going to kick over or what? And finally, they see no misfortune comes to him, so they change their minds and they say he's a god. Bad theology, even worse theology, right? But what you see is their circumstances have dictated their theology, right? That, that's what happens. Where, what does Paul do? He just shakes it off, verse 5. He just shakes off, doesn't seem too worried about it. What's the difference? Their circumstances dictate their theology. What's for Paul? Paul's theology dictates his circumstance. They say, bit by a snake, must be a bad dude because bad things happen to bad people. Paul says this, I have a promise from God. I'm going to Rome. I don't think he met in a body bag. So I, I, I'm not worried about a snake in my hand. One lets them circumstances dictate. One lets their theology. And here's the challenge for us. We are constantly letting our circumstances dictate our theology, aren't we? When we say things like, if God really cared, my husband would be blank. My job would be this. This wouldn't happen to me if God really knew what he was doing. If God, if, if he really cared. Or we do it for other people. Well, that family's, their kids are running wild and he just lost his job and all these things are happening. That's, that's because they're sinners. That's because they're a bunch of bad Christians. Or that church is not doing well because, because that church is a bunch of bad, that's a bad pastor. Right? They're not growing. That, that's this, that's that. Or we come in here and say, you know what? I've had a pretty good week. Did my quiet time, journaled, gave my tithe. I'm ready to sing. I'm ready to worship. Because I've been had a pretty good week. And others of you came in, you feel like, I can't sing holy, holy, holy. I mean, look what I did this week. You are letting your circumstance dictate your theology. It sounds like it's real holy, but it is not. It's the same error these guys are doing. Right? And, and, and Paul is our model. And look, I do this all the time. I am telling you. Last night I go home and I'm cleaning up and trying to help out around the house and get to bed early because the clocks are already set forward. And I mean, it was like Satan was whispering in my ear, who are you to tell these people about being hard-hearted? You are the worst of them all. You're a hypocrite. And my response was, you know what? I am, you are right. I am a hypocrite. This has not been a banner week spiritually for Bill. Right? I, I didn't have some like great... 17 quiet times. I yelled at my kids this week more than I did last week. I was a jerk to my wife. I yelled at a bunch of people on Duran. I yelled, I almost crashed into someone on the way to church this morning. And it was my fault, and I still got mad at them. And I'm just, and I was really, I was struggling because I, I was like, you're right, I, I am. And it was as if God gave me, he, he, he brought to my mind a hymn. He brought to my mind the second verse 
of before the throne of God above. You know that verse? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of my guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And at that point, I ceased letting my circumstances dictate my theology, and my theology dictated my circumstances. And though I am not worthy to stand before you and preach this message, I know that my Savior is, and I stand in His worthiness. See, that's what we're talking about. Is that easy? No. Do storms and snakes and burned down houses and miscarriages and lost jobs, do they hurt? They stink. And you may never know why. We can ask why. There's nothing wrong with asking why. But you may not get a why. But we do have a what. And what is this? What it cannot mean is that God has abandoned us. What it cannot mean is that God does not love us, that he does not care. How do I know that? Because the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear them. That is why my theology must dictate my circumstances. Right? Because the reality is this. Where does God teach you the most about his character and about his faithfulness and about being dependent on him? Is it when everything's sailing easy, when there's no ways, when it's easy sailing to Rome? Or when it's a mess. I can tell you in my own life, when everything's going easy, I am not dependent on God at all. But when there's chaos and when I'm sitting there struggling in my kitchen, that is when I am most close to God and most dependent on him. And this is why Lewis gives this famous quote. Many of you heard it. He says, God whispers to us where? In our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That's what pain is. And so here's the challenge for us if we're going to stay hard. When you are in the storm, when there is a snake on your hand, this is hard, but this is what we do. We try to listen. We listen in the storm. As difficult as it may be. I'm not a good listener. You can ask my wife. I'm a great talker. Not a good listener. But I'll tell you, when I do listen halfway decent, is when I'm expecting something good. That's when I'm a good listener. I remember growing up, all right, Philadelphia, this is before the days of internet, before the days of cell phones and all these things and text message, when it would be snowing outside. Some of you remember this, all right? 6 a.m., I would turn my radio to KYW News Radio 1060, right? And what they would do is they would go through the school closing numbers, and I was number 220, I graduated in 1992, y'all. I still remember that. And so they would sit there, and they would count your school. They would count up, you know, 500 schools or whatever, and they just start. School closings, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. And they just work your way up, and you're just late. And I'm like, come on, baby, come on. Number 200, 201, 203, 205, 207, 219, 221. No! You're kidding me! 220, two hours late. No! 
right? I'm already awake anyway. Two hours late doesn't do me any good. But there would just be this anticipation and expectation of good. And I listened intently. Did I say 220? I can't believe. I can't remember. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? That is the kind of anticipation and expectation that we need to listen with, as hard as it may be. Because on the other side is fruit. On the other side is goodness. Look, if Paul doesn't go through storms and get bit by a snake, do you know what he misses? He heals the father of Pubulus, one of the leaders on the island, and then he heals a ton of other people. And then the way it ends in verse 10 is they're going to get on a ship. They honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. They, they get everything they need. Not only that, 276 people on this ship saw the faithfulness of God and his provision. And the people of Malta got to hear about Jesus. And there was a great church planted in Malta because the apostle Paul gets sent there. Instead of just a straight shot. Did he want to get bit by a snake? No. Did he want to sit there and be seasick and throw up for 14 days? No. What was the fruit on the other side? Great fruit. And so when we listen, we become soft and moldable and pliable. And so what happens is they get on a ship, and you can read the summary. They basically get to Rome. A couple days. Not, it's not a long sail from here. Right into Rome. And can you imagine, Paul has been longing to go to Rome for years. And finally he walks into this city, as impressive as it is. He finds some Christians there, which is awesome. They probably read his book. Do you read my book? It's called Romans. Right? He meets some believers who had never met him. And then he calls for the Jewish leaders in verse 17. To tell them all about what happened. You know, I was arrested by our Jewish leaders and the Romans wanted to set me free, but I appealed to Caesar. And so here's, here I am. And in verse 21, they say, we, we've received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here as reporters spoken any evil about you. We, we don't know what you're talking about. We haven't heard anything about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. He said, we want to hear a little bit more about this Christianity deal that you're kind of seen to be at the forefront of. And Paul's not like, well, no, I don't really want to tell you about that. So he says, okay, we'll do it. And so verse 23, when they appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers from morning until evening. I mean, this is a 12-hour sermon. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He takes their Old Testament because they don't, they don't want to listen to the book of Romans. They don't want to look, listen to the book of Galatians. But their Old Testament, he uses the Old Testament. He shows that Jesus was the Messiah, that he needed to be crucified, that he resurrected. And some, verse 24, were convinced by what he said, but others, as typical, disbelieved. And so here's what Paul responds in doing. He quotes the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was told by God, I'm going to send you to this people, but they're not going to listen to you. He quotes the same verse that Jesus quotes four times, one in each gospel about the people of Israel. And it says this, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They'll listen. He says, you are a bunch of hard-hearted people just like your fathers, right? You don't listen to anything. And here's the pattern you see in Scripture. 
when you reject the revelation that God has given, right, when you harden yourself to truth, God will often harden you further. That's a hard truth. You don't believe me? Read what God did to Pharaoh. He tells Moses, I will harden his heart. Read what God says in Isaiah 6. I will harden their heart. Constantly, that when you do not respond to the revelation that God has given, that he is not obligated to give you more. Does that raise all sorts of tension and questions about the sovereignty of God and human responsibility? Yep. But our, ours is a faith that there is a ton of tension. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. I was a PE major, but that's 200%, y'all. That don't work. One God, three eternal co-equal people, Father, Son, Spirit. Each one is fully God, yet there is one God. There's some tension there. Human responsibility, divine sovereignty. There's some tension there, right? And look, you're not going to be able to figure it all out. But you need to just rejoice in the tension. Because if I have a faith that I can fully unpack, that it doesn't take God to come up with that. So I'm all right with the tension. But here's the principle. When you reject what God has revealed very clearly, he does not obligate himself to give you more. And so here's for us. You want to be soft? Respond to the truth that has been revealed to you. If God is moving and he is, he is convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment, he's, saying, he's trying to shape you. Don't snuff that out. Don't, don't later, 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 later. If he's dealing with your temper, if he's dealing the way you talk with your spouse, if he's dealing with that internet activity, if he's dealing with that thought life, if he's dealing with the way you spend your money, if he's dealing with that relationship, that habit, whatever it is, do not harden yourself towards him because he will give you often over to, to the desires of your heart and, you'll, and you won't want what you got. You won't, right? Jesus is very clear that those who are faithful with a little, they get more. Those who are unfaithful with the little, they will be, the little that they have will be taken away. So God, if God is moving in your heart, y'all, and this is the same thing, your parents keep telling you the same thing, your, your wife keeps telling you the same thing, your, your uncle keeps telling the same thing, your roommate is saying, this is not good, do not harden your heart towards him. God may be moving through them. You need to listen. Right? And he says, you guys aren't going to listen, the Gentiles are going to listen. Because Gentiles, they'll listen to what I'm saying. You ever think about why is it the Gentiles listen and the Jews don't? I mean, the Jews have the entire Old Testament. They have all the prophets. They have all the Psalms. They have all the, all the info. They should have known all about Christ and Messiah, yet they are hard. What's the difference between the, the Israelites and the Gentiles? One group is needy and the other group is not. One group's like, we, we got the law. We're good. We're moral people. We don't do this. We don't do that. Outside, we do it all right. The other group says, we're broken and we need something, right? We need something. And so the Israelites missed their Messiah, the one he came to save them, and the Gentiles, they get the good news. And it's just last principle for us. If we're going to stay soft, if we're going to be moldable, if we're going to not be deaf and dumb and blind, it's just a reminder that the good news is for the needy. The gospel's for the needy, right? What did Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, 
They shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They're the ones who inherit the the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're the ones who will be satisfied. Not the clean, not the outwardly good, not the one that says, I went to church, I did my this, I did my this, I grew up, blah, 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 blah. Not that person, because Jesus came not for the healthy, but for the sick. It's for the one who realizes, I am needy, I am broken, I don't deserve God. If you think you got it all together, you are dull and God is not for you. But if you are broken and needy, that's the one he came to save. Right? He he saves the needy. He delights to. And so stay needy, church. Stay needy. We need to be broken. And our Father delights, delights to show grace to the needy. Look, as a dad... Sometimes, I don't like neediness. I'm sitting on the couch, and one of my kids says, Dad, can you help me get a bowl of cereal? No. Fine. Grudgingly get up. Can't you get your daggum cereal yourself? Just a milk and daggum honeycomb. Come on. Sometimes that's my heart. Our Heavenly Father is never that way towards our neediness. Never. He delights when we need him. He delights in our brokenness. He delights when we call out to him for his grace. So stay needy. You know, I I thought about who is the only one that gets Ralphie? Who's the one that sees the glory of the Red Ryder BB gun? The old man does. His daddy. He's the only one that delights at the end of that movie. You need how it works. He gives him the red rider. He goes out and shoots his eye out. It's great. But he's the one who understands him. He delights to give him the desires of his heart. That is our dad. But we as a church, do you notice the common thread through all five of these things? Do you know what it is? It's humility. You catch it? Who's needy? The humble. Who, who realizes they haven't arrived, the humble? Who's willing to follow Christ and swim upstream? It's the humble. Don't think that they got it all together. Who's willing to listen in the midst of the storm? It's the humble. Who's the one that's going to respond to the truth? Of being it's the humble. Right? That, that's where we want to be. That's where we want to stay. Right? Then we will be soft. Then we will be mobile. So what we're going to do is we're going to worship. And I'll ask the praise teams to come back up. Where are you guys at? There you are. And they're going to lead us. Just spend a few moments before we sing and while they're playing and maybe they'll start singing. Will you just consider that maybe you've been a little deaf and dumb and blind? And maybe there's something that you know that you haven't been responding to. God has revealed this for you to do and you're still blowing them off. Will you deal with that now, please? Because we're going to sing three songs and all three of them deal with the neediness of, of our need for Christ don't go singing these if you don't mean it. These are prayers. These are responses that we need Christ and he is better and he is good and that we are coming to him. If, if there's some circumstance in your life that you need to learn from, ask God right now, please show me what you want me to learn because this is hurts. If there's a hardness, if you've kind of been coasting and it's been all good right now and you're kind of coasting, just deal with those things right now. If you've been going with the flow, this is the time to deal with that as we worship. So just spend a few moments in the quiet of your heart praying, and when Ethan and the team lead us to stand, we'll stand. Let me pray. Father, guide us as we worship you. May your spirit fall fresh. Just deal with us as you will. Make us soft. That's what I ask. Just make your church soft and moldable and pliable so that Jesus is king in our hearts as he is over the universe. Use us for your own glory. 
For your name's sake, Christ, I pray. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. In Christ's name.